first Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, found on page 1173 in our church Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is taken from John chapter 6, verses 35 and 41 to 51, page 1070 in the Church Bibles. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go, go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and deepen our souls. Father, that you will change us, that you will help us to praise you from deep within. Amen. So as some of you know, we have just returned from three weeks in Brazil. And my overwhelming conclusion is that mosquitoes are a sign of God's broken and fallen world. There is no redeeming feature about any mosquito in the universe. that's That's my theological thought for those three weeks. So nearly a week after we got back, I still have marks on my arms, my legs, my neck, where I was bitten. And Paul, in our Ephesians passage, talks about our fallen and broken world too. But for him, of course, it's much more personal. Felt pretty personal when the most mosquitoes were biting me, but actually he's, to Paul, is that first and foremost, a pastor. He wants the people that he's speaking to to grow in their faith. He wants them to get closer to God. And he wants them to live a full and a godly life. And what he has written here in Ephesians is really heady, life-changing stuff. I I must admit, when I got an email from Pads and he said, I'm so excited by Ephesians, we're going to be doing it for weeks. And I thought, oh no, here we go. And then I looked at it and it is really amazing stuff. I don't think I've really thought about it deeply before. But what he's saying is because of God's love, we are alive. God the creator of the universe, the one that flung the stars into space and made the oceans and made the waves and gravity and molecules and loads of really exciting stuff. He's raised us with Christ, showing the incomparable riches of his grace. Just think about that for a moment. I just want to read that verse again, a couple of verses. Because of God's love, we are alive. God, the creator of the universe, has raised us with Christ, showing the incomparable riches of his grace. That's just amazing, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? I I get so excited about that. (laughs) But maybe we need to unpack it a little. It's so big and so life-changing that perhaps we need to just have a look and dig in a bit. So what is this grace? Grace is a bit of a Christian jargon word, isn't it? It's a word we come across in the Bible an awful lot, but what is it? It's free. It's just free. It's summed up in the death and the rising of the dead of Jesus, the King. Jesus has been installed next to God in glory, in heaven. What Paul is saying about this 
this word grace is that it is sheer, almost unbelievable, magnificent, free kindness of God. And in four short verses, he actually says it four different ways because it is so important that we grasp how amazing this is. He says, God is rich in mercy. He loved us with a great love. His grace has saved us. His grace is rich beyond all telling. And he's lavished his kindness on us. So I don't know about you, but often when you're having a drink with friends or, or relatives or people who don't go to church and they go, oh, well, actually, God's a bit spiteful, really, isn't he? He's a bit of a, you know, does all this ethnic cleansing. And he doesn't like women very much, let's be honest. And, and he's a bit cruel, actually. And I'm not sure I want anything to do with a cruel God. Just think about these four verses. Rich in mercy. Great love. His grace has saved us. His grace is rich beyond all telling. And he's lavished kindness on us. Doesn't sound like a cruel misogynist to me. My sense of direction, as Mark and anybody in my family will tell you, it's quite notorious. So much so that when I'm driving and he says, take the next left, and I go right, he just patiently goes, no, the other left, Carol. He's, he's quite used to me not understanding left and right. And there's a story, it was actually told at my wedding. Of, well, I was on holiday in Scotland with a very dear friend, and we were driving along and she had a new car, and she was really excited about this new car. I'm, I'm one of those people that can't get excited about cars, however new and however flashing and wonderful they are. It's a car, you know, gets you from A to B. But she was very excited about her car. And we were driving along, and I was map reading, which was, you know, not a good idea. And uh, she was driving along. And then suddenly she said to me, Carol, we're in fifth. Bearing in mind this was the 80s, fifth gear was quite a new thing. And, and I was looking frantically on the map thinking, we're so lost, I can't find fifth. Where is fifth? And, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And she, she did rib me mercilessly about my total inability to read a map. And I thought, I can't tell her I can't find fifth. We are so totally lost, we're not even on the map. And eventually, she carried on driving, and I said, Julia, <clears throat> I can't find fifth. At which point, she just she had to stop the car. She was laughing so much. Of course, she had meant, we're in fifth gear. And to her, that was a very exciting thing. To me, it was, you know, okay, so we're in fifth gear. So, I, I don't do directions. And what Paul is saying to us here is that actually, there's a road map And sometimes we go off, we think we're going the right way, but actually we're going on the wrong direction. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about us being dead in our transgressions. 
We think it's okay. We're following what seems to be, feels okay, it's probably right. We'll just go along here for a bit, see what's happening. And that's how most people, most of the time, blindly are walking along the road. And sometimes those roads look really good. Sometimes they seem quite reasonable. Some arguments for a self-centered life are quite reasonable. You know, why not go for that new job? Why not go for, you know, step on a few people as you you want to go up the political ladder or whatever? Um, And sometimes, you know, you hear the argument, well, if it doesn't hurt anyone else, if it feels good, it's what my body is telling me to do, it must be right, must be okay. And perhaps if we just go with the flow, we'll get it right. But actually, that's not what God's word is telling us. And it's exactly what Paul is warning us against. Paul is letting us know that we need to be following Christ. There's nothing wrong with going for a new job or a better salary or a better career, as long as it's what Christ is asking you to do. And it's as long as what the Holy Spirit is prompting you deep inside to be doing. Our world is running helter-skelter towards destruction unless we follow Christ. There is no ambiguity in Paul's words. There's no wriggle room. God acted in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came to save us. He not only revealed himself fully, he revealed fully what genuine human life was like. And it turns out that it's not doing what feels good or going with the flow. It turns out that it's deeply self-sacrificial. Simply following the desires of the physical body or the mind will lead to ruin. Jesus and his death on the cross changes everything. If you take away Jesus and the fact that he rose, he conquered death, after three days he rose again. If you take that away, for all anybody knows, the route to death is the only route there is. But put these verses in, base your life on the free and amazing gift that Jesus has given us, and you realize two things. Firstly, there is another way. You don't have to just follow the world. And secondly, you and I are urgently summoned to turn around and follow Christ. Now, I have spent many years of my Christian life believing that it was all up to me, that God was simply waiting for me to get my act together so that together, him and I could save the entire world. That if I took a day off, God's whole plan for the redemption of the world might just be delayed a bit. And I still have a tendency to think I have to be doing everything It is a bit my default position that I think, oh, I shouldn't be resting because, you know, someone hasn't heard about Jesus. It's a deep flaw in my character. And I believe it's also a flaw in the DNA of many Christians. 
We all of us get so involved in projects and plans, in study, in events, in action, that we forget to wonder in astonishment at creation and at what Jesus did for each one of us. I just want you to listen to these words again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. It seems to me these verses are all about Christ, not about us. This is love like we can't comprehend, that we can't understand. It's absolutely free gift of life to all of us. This is about the agonizing death of Jesus on the cross to save each and every one of us. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves more acceptable or loved by Christ. He does already love us. So you could reasonably say, so what? That's all very well. I like that idea, but why should that make any difference to the way we live our lives? How should we respond to this gift of life? Well, if you look at verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in in advance for us to do. It might sound like I've said, oh, it's not all about works, and now I'm just saying it's about works. That's not what Paul is saying. This is one of Paul's central statements of how Christians are at the center of God's new creation. We are, he says, God's workmanship. And this word sometimes has an artistic ring to it, maybe hinting that what God has done to us in Christ Jesus is a work of art, like a poem or a sculpture, or perhaps even a musical score. And the music which we now play is the genuine way of being human, following God's gracious design so that we can follow God. There is also a tone here in the the original that suggests God has a specific and unique purpose for each one of us. And the way to find that direction that God has for us is to accept 
this free gift. The cross and the resurrection. We need to accept that Jesus has done all that is necessary for us to become fully alive and fully human. Jesus has cleared the way for us to be with our Heavenly Father. And one way of doing that is to dwell on the Word of God, to let it seep into our innermost thoughts, to think about our incredible Creator who loves us more than we can ever understand. Evangelism can be a dirty word. I understand that. There are times I've sat there and somebody's gone, we're going to go and do a mission. And I've sat there and thought, oh, this is just cringeworthy. Can we not? And, but if we take these words of Paul seriously, we simply can't keep it quiet. It won't be evangelism. It will be seeping out of our very being. People can't fail to notice. They will be asking us because there will be something deep inside of us that is so full of love and so full of kindness because that's God's gift to us. And just imagine what life would be like for a moment if we really absorbed how much God's grace and Jesus' love has done for us will just overflow from us. We will be so excited about the changes that Jesus makes, that the work that Paul describes will be exciting and fulfilling. It won't be like work. And as we all step with the Holy Spirit, we will change lives as we go. Others will be so attracted to the life inside us that is the Holy Spirit that they will be asking us about what it is we have. The life of Jesus and after, and Jesus' resurrection, as the, sorry, the life of Jesus and after Jesus' resurrection, the life of the disciples shows us how to live, showing risky and unreasonable love to others. I just want to take us back to those few verses that hit me between the eyes when I was reading it. I don't know, can we get up from verse 4? Can we get that up? I'm sorry, I didn't warn you. It wasn't very fair of me. It's in your service sheets or in your Bibles. I'm in Ephesians 4, verse 2. Um, chapter, sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith 
And this is, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I invite you to dwell on those words this week. Maybe start your day each, each day. Just read them. Think about them as you're on the train or the bus or the tube. Let them just dwell in you. And I bet by the end of the week, you will see something different. If anything I have said has, has resonated with you, if you're wondering how to get hold of this grace and this love and this life, I am sure the prayer ministry team who will be over there after the service would love to speak with you and to help if you want to be part of this incredible love. Um, I'm sure they would really love to pray you into the kingdom. So please do. Our next song is Purify My Heart. Now what I'd like to do is invite the music group up and invite us to just let this wash over us for a bit. Perhaps if they could play it once and then the next time if we sing it, stand if you want, sit if you feel that the Holy Spirit needs you to do that just in submission to Christ for a little while. Thank you.